0: VinePair's New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter,
1: and I'm Joanna Sherino.
0: And in Seattle, Washington,
2: I'm Zach Jabal.
0: And this is the VinePair
2: podcast. I'm waiting. Happy birthday, Adam. Well, you, t- you don't want us to sing, or at least me.
1: I just want a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Adam.
2: Okay, now goodbye.
1: So long. So long. Joanna's like, get the fuck out. <laughs> like, just go. No, just no. Just go right now. I'm going to miss you more than you know.
2: Good. <laughs> <laughs> Zach's like, I'm going to miss Ooh. you exactly as much as
0: you
1: know. <laughs> as I expect him to miss me.
0: Um, yeah, this is going to be crazy. I I really don't know what I'm going to do for two months.
1: <laughs> I think your days will be busy.
2: I'm <laughs> expecting detailed notes on every episode.
0: Naomi has asked me to write out my plan of what I'll be doing with her every day. Did you make Evan do that? No. Naomi's like, I need to know that it's going to be. she's going to be taking care. What will you be teaching her? <laughs> Where will you be going? A I'm lesson like,
1: plan. Yeah, I'm like, ma'am, chill. <laughs> we're going to do tummy time.
0: She wants to know that that's happening. It's like, tummy time is a racket.
1: It's not. You'll figure it out. I don't want to do it, though. you going to figure it out. She doesn't like it. I'm not doing it. She'll start to like it.
0: Uh, I just figured we'd, like, go on adventures. I was like, yeah, we're going to, like, we're going to go up to Harlem and, like, you know, check out. Cool places to eat, and we're gonna take you know we're gonna go to the, the cloisters or whatever. Yeah. Like, no, you're not. You're not going that far. Oh. <laughs> we're gonna do fun stuff though. Um, and how
1: are you celebrating your birthday?
0: Flying to Greece <laughs> tonight, <laughs> literally tonight. Getting on a plane, flying to Greece. So we're recording this obviously prior to my the actual Monday, but uh yeah, I'll be on a plane flying to uh, Athens for sort of two weeks in Greece with Esty and Naomi and then actually Josh is meeting up with us halfway through and that'll be super fun and uh gonna check out some wineries there and this is the first time that I'm gonna be going to Greece I've been to Greece like four or five times now because one of our closest friends is Greek so we've Mm -hmm. gone a few times with her and this will be the first time I'm not going to Athens like we're flying in and out of Athens but we're not gonna spend any time in Athens Mm. um which I guess makes sense. I, like I was saying to Naomi, like, how would we check out, like, the nightlife in Athens right
2: now with a
1: three-month-old?
0: Oh, yeah. Like, hey, Esty, we're going to go bar crawling?
2: You got her a fake ID,
1: S-strap right? Strap her in.
0: Yeah, like, let's go. <laughs> like, I need to check out these new cocktails. Lots of lots of, <laughs> of cocktail bars. I mean, it is still a very buzzy cocktail city, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited about the wine. We're going to check out, uh, I think, three or four. We're going to stop in Maya and check out a winery. am going to go to Crete and ha- check out some wine, oh, some nice. wineries. And Wait, then, can I uh, give my,
2: my number one recommendation for Crete? Please. So if you're in Aracleon at all, which I imagine you probably will be,
0: we we're, yeah we we're, we're, we go we like land in on the ferry there.
2: Nice. So the one of the best meals of my life was at a restaurant in Aracleon called Pescesi. and you will appreciate this, and Naomi will appreciate it even more. I had the single best salad I've ever had in my life there. Like mm. I don't not the kind of person to rave about salad very often, but literally Caitlin and I were ate it and we're like. We should get another one of these, right? And she was like, Yeah. I was like, Okay. Kessie, how do you spell it? P E S K E S I.
1: Tell us about the salad, please.
2: Well, it was the salad was based around like 20 odd like indigenous Cretan greens and herbs that they foraged or someone foraged in like the hills. And Crete is like strikingly beautiful um, and sort of Ooh. very mountainous. And so, it was just like it was so simple, but the you could taste all of the different ingredients You know, have like a simple vinaigrette as a dressing. And again, mm. like I know that all of you listening, including Adam and Joanna are like, why the fuck is he going on about a salad? But like, I swear to God, it's one of the best things I've ever eaten and definitely the best salad I've ever had. So, uh, mm. yes, definitely. I'll, definitely I'll write it down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just
0: I just say that on Google Maps. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Crete, I'm very excited about Crete because it's such a like foodie island. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm pretty pumped about it, and then we're gonna go to the Peloponnese, and
1: that's exciting. And,
0: yeah, if you follow me, it'll be on the gram. Yeah, probably. I was gonna
1: say, now we have to follow you.
0: We have to. First of all, you already follow me.
1: I mean, it's you're not gonna be regaling us of your trip on the podcast.
0: No, maybe I should just do a, a feature on Instagram on Mondays. It's like, here's what I drank this week.
2: <laughs> you can just you can just send us the audio, and we'll dr- you'll just take a yeah. you know you will just drop it in the podcast every week.
0: totally speaking of what we drank this week zach what about you man
2: uh well it was actually a pretty fun weekend of drinking for me i had a a couple of opportunities to do some you know interesting to me one bottle i've been on a big chardonnay kick lately um and so for father's day which i guess was the previous weekend but you know we kind of record these in in pieces uh beautiful bottle from actually napa valley a place where i don't generally drink a lot of chardonnay but uh Mm -hmm. it's from winery called cv which is kind of up in the hills never heard Uh, of it yeah it's at one of the older wineries there, not like super old, but but definitely goes back like forty uh, odd years, I think. Oh wow! And yeah, I we were. Stupid. Well, it's not, but it's not big. Like they're not, they're not like well distributed. You know, it's kind of like a. It was one of those places where when I was preparing for this the trip that Caitlin and I took uh, while she was pregnant with Saul, so it was recommended to us by a, a friend who was you know, like, hey, this is a place that not a lot of people go. We were there, and they told us when we were at our tasting appointment that we uh, couldn't go tour the vineyards because they had seen a cougar earlier in the day. I was like, yeah. oh, cool. I was like, I mean, I know there's lots of cougars in Napa. And she was like, no, not, not that kind of cougar. And I was like, oh, okay, but eat me. <laughs> okay, that's a problem.
0: Anyhow. That was a real dad joke. Oh, I God. just want to be <laughs>
2: clear yeah.
0: with what it. happened there. <laughs> it took me a second to understand what yeah, was happening. get it. I totally didn't. And I was like, well, what kind of cougar? Like, a more vicious cougar like i really didn't get it at all well see wow. i was hoping
2: to move on from that joke quickly so that only you know no i want to can... focus deep <laughs> yeah, thank you thank you we can dissect my humor later um the other thing were is because they, I mean, they, they were all at like where a drinking shard somewhere i guess yeah exactly right <laughs> okay. um, continue yeah uh, d- down the hill at rombauer is where you find most of the cougars <laughs> anyhow the other thing i had uh was i made myself a really fun martini um you know, we've been talking about martinis a lot, so I've been drinking them more and more, which is not a bad thing at all. Um, So it was mostly Sipsmith gin, and then I used a half ounce of uh, Singani 63, which uh, Tim and I did an episode about uh back when uh, you were both gone. God, the dark times. And then a little bit of Cucchi Americano Bianco, so hmm. essentially a, a n- not totally dry vermouth. And it was just delicious, like a great kind of
1: very-
2: I guess. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. <this. laughs> God, it's not the lemon teeter, but you know it'll do. The
1: lemon teeter.
2: So yeah, those have been those have been the highlights for me. How about you, Joanna?
1: Um. Okay. I had my first transfusion this weekend.
0: What? It's because they went and played golf. Yeah. Wait. What are you talking what was it about? Like?
1: Do you know what a transfusion no what is?
0: is? We talked about transfusions on the podcast. I do not think so. I could have sworn
2: we have.
1: No, we just talk about it at the office a lot.
2: Okay, so Zach, you don't know what a transfusion is. I mean. I know what that word means in English, but I'm not sure that I know what it means in terms of drinking.
0: If you play golf, you 100% know what it is. It is the most popular cocktail in the country on golf courses. Yes. Joanna, go. What is a transfusion?
1: Okay. A transfusion is vodka, Concord grape juice- lime juice and ginger ale
0: it makes no fucking sense how it became popular no well at barstool
1: but it's yeah. a pa- it's apparently supposed to be hydrating from the like grape juice and the and it's supposed to settle a st- your stomach from the ginger ale anyway it's disgusting It's so gross. Why did
0: you have it? Because you wanted to try it. I
1: wanted to try it, of course. So
0: did you order at the bar at the golf course or were you like out on the course and like someone came through and made it like on the golf cart?
1: So Evan had them out on the course because I don't play golf and I hate golf. (laughs) And I hate golf. (laughs) Oh God, I hate golf so much. But I had asked my dad, I was like, have you ever heard of a transfusion? Because he loves to play golf. And he was like, oh, we have those all the time. So I was like, have to have one. So I got it from the golf Like the bar.
0: And is Evan a big golfer?
1: No, no, no. This was like a Father's Day thing.
0: And he, did he like the transfusions?
1: Yeah. But Evan likes all drinks.
0: I mean, (laughs) it's, I wonder, like, all I can think of is it, it, it didn't come in, like, everyone's convinced themselves that the reason for its ingredients are because of the, like, benefits. Yeah, yeah. But I think it actually came to be because it was, like, someone fucking around with the ingredients that happened to be in the back of the golf yeah, cart that drives sure. around the course. Mm-hmm. And it just blew up from there. Yeah. Apparently, Barstool has been very, like, have popular popularized it. Oh, I didn't it.
1: know that. Okay.
0: They talk about it a lot. But, like, a lot of, it's, I don't know. It's just so weird that this, like, cocktail that half of the country has never heard of is so ubiquitous all over the country at golf courses yeah it is like the thing and it sounds fucking gross yeah
1: it's pretty pretty gnarly i mean <laughs> would much rather have a john daly right that's what it is it's yeah, a boozy yeah. arnold palmer yeah much rather i would actually i would try like a nice transfusion like if a cocktail bar did one i would I bet, try that. well
0: so like my my friend ryan who's a big golfer and uh de- general degenerate, even though he's a doctor, <laughs> has told me that like it, he also thinks the transfusion became popular because I didn't realize this, but all these all the top golfs around the country oh. all have bars, oh. and people drink transfusions while they go hang out with their buddies and like hit balls at these top golfs and into the simulators and stuff mm-hmm. and like He's like, oh, yeah, man, like people go to like the mall Top Golf with the bar like they're at a Dave and Buster's and drink transfusions all the whole time. And I guess it also makes sense because it's like it's a very easy, large format cocktail you can teach the staff to make. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like everyone's going to be sitting. I'm like, oh, Buffy, I'll have a martini. Right. You know, it's right, like, yeah. not happening there. Buffy. Yeah. I just don't like that. <laughs> uh, it's but yeah, but I would much rather have a John Daly. I remember when I was growing up and I was playing golf, there used to be this crew of. Uh, older gentlemen who got mad at me a few times and like we all they were always the angry guys on the course because mm-hmm. they were drunk mm-hmm. um, and in, in high school I didn't realize that's what it was but then my dad informed me that uh, they owned they were all employees and owners of the local liquor distribution company so therefore mm-hmm. Eagle Rock uh, that they all <laughs> had they would bring handles onto the course oh and and finish a handle in 18 holes. These four guys would finish a handle of whiskey or whatever. So that's what I always associate with people drink playing golf was like just handles of liquor. And my dad is like a purist and never drinks when he plays golf. He's like he's about the game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And <laughs> he's also a professor. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, <laughs> right? So I never drank playing golf. And I first drank playing golf in college and hated it because I felt like it ruined the game for me. And I haven't played golf in like 20-something years. I mean, well, I'm 40 now, so. <laughs> fuck <laughs> you all know my secret but i yeah i i just it's so interesting that this this drink has become so
1: popular yeah it's very interesting drinking culture you have anything yeah. else no i <laughs> mean like i, I had, mean, a like, had a martini, martini but no no i had a martini but, <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't a zactini so nothing. who cares no yeah. no zactini's for me
0: dude zactini that's it okay that Adam, trademarking what have, it what have you been Fucking drinking? trademarking it uh, so on Father's Day, I had a martini mm-hmm. that I made, right. and then I had a really Naomi and I split I We we cooked dinner at home, and uh, we split a really nice bottle of Palmieri red blend, mm-hmm. which was the best red blend I've ever had. Ooh. Best American red blend I've ever had. Naomi was even like, what is this? This is so good. Hmm. And I was like, uh, this is a red blend from Napa. She was like, there's no way this is so good. It's called the Front front Porch Farm Red Wine. And it was really delicious. It's from Russian River Valley, Sonoma. But, like, it was amazing. Uh, and then also earlier in the week, I'd had a really delicious Chablis. I'm told when I shared the name of the Chablis with Philippe, Uh, that I pronounced the name of the Chablis wrong. So, you know, thank you, Philippe, for letting me know that. I really appreciate that you shamed my French. Um, (laughs) But it was Domaine de L'Enclos. L'Enclos? Yeah, something like that. And it was their grand crew. Uh, I had it at Gage and Tolner. It was delicious. And then finally I went to Super Bueno. Yes. And we did that the day before Father's Day. It was kind of the outing. And that was really fun. And Nacho is just the fucking best, who's the owner and sort of head bartender, head everything there. And the cocktails were great. And I had the vodka soda, which – so I vodka ordered it. Vodka soda. So I ordered it, right? Mm-hmm. And we had, so we had uh, two rounds. And the first thing I got, like the corn – I was really disappointed. They were out of the, like, martini they're famous for.
1: What is it? The a melon,
0: green? like green melon or whatever. Right, martini. right. Um, but I really wanted to try the corn whiskey. Yeah. I really wanted to try like the corn whiskey. The,
1: with the wheat la Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Which was so good. And then I was like, okay, well, we want to get two others. So I wanted to try their milk. this milk punch drink they did. And then the vodka y soda. And I was like, well, Naomi, you take the vodka y soda and I'll take this and then we'll switch. She's like, I don't want a vodka soda. Yeah. She's like, I don't want that. Like, I really don't want that. And I was like, trust me. And she's like, no, I don't want a vodka soda. So they brought it over and I... Try it first, and I was like, "This is unreal! How good this drink is!" I was like, no me just try this," and then she wouldn't give it back to me. <laughs> She's like, "This is incredible," and I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "That's... I mean, I was like, it's like a play. It's not. A it's true not vodka a soda. Vodka soda. No, yeah. it has like delicious flavoring in it. It's like it's just so what well is, made. Like,
1: guava and it's
0: guava and like I think elderflower. I mean, it was just very, very delicious mm-hmm. and perfect, like a perfect drink, and so sessionable and
1: mm-hmm.
2: just
0: great. So yeah, so that's me." Very cool. So for our last conversation, before I'm leaving for two months, I thought we would talk a little bit about modern classics and whether or not we are creating them anymore in restaurants and whether or not they can survive.
1: Like the actual spaces. Yes. Yeah.
0: In the age of what's new and cool and hip. And this sort of – this idea – and topic came to me after a few conversations I've had over the past few weeks with people in the industry who sort of said that like they feel like there aren't as many like old standbys anymore. Places that you just like everyone goes to because they know the wine list is just has always been amazing or the food has always been amazing that like that doesn't seem to exist anymore. It's, It's like what's new what's next and after a few years what's new and what's next either closes or falls out of favor and like the next place opens and is that a you know just a result of the current culture instagram tiktok etc creating this and does that prevent people from who want to open things from being able to open places that
2: can last for years okay i have some thoughts unsurprisingly go so the first thing i want to say is that what i'm what i'm really genuinely curious about and, and i'm hoping that maybe some of the listeners can help kind of help me and us understand this is I do believe that what we are seeing when we talk about this kind of trend or this phenomenon or just whatever, this reality of the restaurant and bar industry right now, is driven by a sort of change in how a certain kind of diner wants their dining experience to be. I believe, and I'm in a way a little too young, we all are, to have exact firsthand memory of this, but I think that for a lot of diners who were well off, if not outright wealthy, in previous generations, one of the ways you kind of showed off that wealth when you were dining out was by being, you know, kind of highly recognized as a regular at maybe a couple of establishments, right? A place where you went maybe weekly, maybe monthly, a place where they knew your name, they knew your order, that that was a sort of the kind of flex of that era, right? Was not what's the newest restaurant, the trendiest restaurant, but where can I go where when I walk in, you know, the people maitre d' you. or the owner or whoever comes over and, you know, shakes my hand or make sure I get the best table. Like that was a kind of, you know, it was a kind of flex. And mm-hmm. now it does feel like there's still obviously some of that, both a generation that still kind of views dining out that way. And there are some younger people who maybe view there being a benefit to, you know, kind of building that kind of relationship with a restaurant. But I do think that we've seen so much of the the kind of trendy show-offy kind of dining be much more about you know, accumulating a bunch of different check marks on the list one way or another, right? So whether it's a list of the best restaurants somewhere, whether it's, you know, the world or a city or whatever, or just whatever's new, whatever's, you know, kind of, yeah, buzzy. And that for a lot of these diners who have money, who enjoy dining out, the thrill is in the new and the thrill is in the novel, or they, or they see it as being what dining out is about. And I don't have a good answer exactly as to when this changed. I mean, some of it is undeniably driven by social media and maybe Instagram most of all. But I do think that it's interesting to note that, like, this is a real legitimate part of the restaurant industry's audience, right? They're mm-hmm. like, it, it is, it is a, I totally understand where this conversation is going. And I think that I largely share the sentiment that, like, it sucks that a lot of great restaurants, you know, get ignored especially once they're no longer new because they're not new but I do think it's important to note that there are legitimate like kind of viable business reasons why a place might seek out this kind of audience because there are ways that we've seen that you can attract them in and yes maybe it makes it hard to build a long-term lasting business but I don't even know it may be the case that some of these operators don't really care like that's not really what they're in it for they're in it to get to get in while the getting's good and then it's on to the next now that's a mm. kind of a you know, that might not be how they talk about it when they open it, certainly in public. And it's maybe not a very sustainable business model in a lot of ways. But I think that it would be it's important for us to acknowledge that this is a significant chunk. I don't know what percentage it represents, but it's not insignificant chunk of the dining public. And in particular, the dining public that is open to new experiences. And if you're opening a new restaurant, you need that. Even if your goal is to be an institution one day, you need people who will come seek you out because you are new
1: yeah i I don't know. don't we feel like hospitality industry right now is so hard that you have to have something you have to be buzzy, you have to be new, you have to be trendy in some way in order to survive even at first or to make it at first, I guess is the better way to put it and and if you're lucky, you can stick around for the long term but mm-hmm. but it just seems so much harder to do that. Um, these days than maybe it was, you know, 20 or 30 years ago.
0: Yeah, I think that's really true. I think it is a lot harder.
1: Like, I feel kind of bad.
0: Well, I think I think that part of the problem is that we have seen slowly, slowly, slowly over the last 10 plus years, and Zach, I, I'm sure you've seen this a lot in Seattle, especially the buzzy places, and I've heard this from my restaurant tour friends, the death of the regular, mm-hmm. yeah. Like unless you are, unless you decide to be a neighborhood spot, right? And we see this being much more possible in like neighborhoods in Brooklyn, even than in New York. You do not have regulars anymore, yeah. and the places, and and part of it is, and part of it is that the regular is not interested in being a regular anymore. And part of it is that a lot of these places, it's so fucking hard to get a reservation multiple times that the regular decides. It's not worth it. Right. And most people don't feel that comfortable. I mean, you know, Friday we spoke a lot about uh, how technology has allowed a lot of people who already don't feel comfortable talking to service staff to talk to them even less. I think a lot of people don't feel comfortable like getting the manager's card and following up and emailing and saying, hey, can you hold me a seat at the bar? Because I dine with you once a week or once every two weeks or whatever. And so they're just like, well, This place is so popular, I I would like to be regular, but I can't, so I'm not going to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really causes a lot of these places to suffer, because once you check it off the list, once you've had the buzzy drinks, you've had the must Instagram dish, you don't need to go back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only the places that seem The only places I think that have any chance of building a regular audience are these – and I'm talking about scene places, right? Places that are getting lots of press. And the one that I will say I think is close to us is Coloman, sure. right? It's a block away from our office. Um, it's you, It's very hard to get a reservation at dinner. But I think the way that they may build a regular clientele is that they have started doing breakfast and lunch. Mm. So there is a clientele that, like, you can easily get a breakfast and lunch reservation – Lunch, they have a lot of the same dishes. And so if you work in this neighborhood, at least it can become a regular spot for you. But otherwise, yeah, like there, that, then maybe you build up a rep, you know, a sort of relationship with the staff and you can email for, about dinner. Yeah. But the places that get a ton of press, it's just almost impossible. And then, like, and then it also feels like the only place people are willing to become regulars anymore are like the, loser fucking you know finance and tech bros that want to become regulars at this one omakase spot to show how much money they make you know i mean you read about yeah. that two people who like eat at the same fucking tasting counter once a week and i'm just like get a life <laughs> honestly get a life
1: well i think another big part of this is and maybe this is part of the cycle is you can be a regular at a place or there have been places that have been around for a really long time but then they close yeah and they they have a harder <sighs> time surviving like, there's a restaurant on Long Island that has been around for, I think, 65 years, which is now closing. It was a place that my family and I were what regular. Is it? It's called Jolly Fisherman. That's Jolly place. Fisherman? Yeah. And they're closing. and Why? Today is their last day of service. Because they, you know, they just can't can't make it anymore. The place is always packed, always with regulars. But it's, you know, selling to what's going to become a, a new buzzy place. And, yeah, I just feel like that happens often. Yes. And so it's just harder and harder to become a, you know, mainstay restaurant that can survive that isn't buzzy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think a piece of this too that's important to note is like we heard a lot and justifiably so from restaurants in the early days of COVID that, you know, this was an unprecedented challenge and it absolutely was, right? No restaurant in America or in the world had a plan for not being able to serve for, Weeks, months, whatever, years at a time, right? And that's a that's a kind of you know kind of occasion where you're just kind of like fuck, like whatever we can do, we got to figure it out. And obviously, lots of places approached that differently, including lots of them that closed and some never reopened. I do think that what we saw though is that you know a lot of restaurants tried to tap into what residual goodwill they had, but it was already coming in an environment where people had been less interested in being regulars and whether it was because of some of the reasons you guys explained. I mean, I think another piece of this is that restaurants are in terms of like seating capacity and and just space are smaller than they've ever been, which makes it again, harder to accommodate regulars, right? If you have 40 seats, it's a lot harder to have regulars than if you have 80 or a hundred seats. And the reasons why restaurants have gotten smaller are to some extent understandable to me. I mean, in big cities, rents are so expensive that putting a a restaurant in a bigger space is a, is a risk. It's more expensive. And if you're not filling those seats every night, it's a lot harder to make the math work. It's a lot easier to fill 40 seats a night than 80 or 100 or 150 or whatever. But again, you you do kind of create a situation where you're just boxing out a lot of your potential regulars. And I think the other piece of it is, and I think that you know this is, again, just a kind of a broader part of the conversation is, in my experience working restaurants where we did have you know some base of regulars and differing sizes, depending on where I was working, part of what brought regulars back. In fact, I would say the overwhelming, you know, kind of thing that brought regulars back was, yeah, they liked the food. Sometimes they love the food, Mm -hmm. but they loved the people who worked there, right? The staff was part of the experience to them, right? It was about seeing people who they viewed as friends, you know, whatever people they knew well, who knew them well, who, yes, there was a, you know, a business relationship there, the staff was there to take care of them. But you know, you got to know people outside, I certainly did get to know regulars outside of their sort of persona in the restaurant to some extent. And, you know, that was a fun part of the job when they were nice, and the overwhelming majority of them were, thankfully. And that is a kind of relationship that's just hard to build and it's hard to keep staff, you know, again, we're kind of, we've always talked about this in one way or another, you know, the, the labor pool is stressed in a variety of ways. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people over the period of time since COVID who were established veteran restaurant employees have left for other lines of work or whatever. And the truth is, is that for a lot of people, you know, again, for, I think for the three of us, even places that we've been regulars or think about as being regulars, you know, we think, I mean, maybe we think about a dish or we think about a, even the whole menu, but I think a lot of it is about the people, right? That's what keeps pe- that's what keeps diners coming back. That's what turns people into regulars. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's like the piece of advice that's hardest to give to operators in some sense, because it's like, have great staff, I guess,
1: but-, but yeah, one, Retain your staff. Yeah. yeah
2: keep keep yep. them happy. But one thing I will say, And I do think it's important in this conversation. And I think a thing that can be done even, you know, hopefully in conjunction with having long-term quality staff is you have to view building regulars as a monetary investment in the same way that advertising is, or working with a PR firm or marketing or whatever. And, you know, restaurants can approach this, bars can approach this differently. In certain states, there are different laws about what you can do in terms of free drinks, buybacks, as we were talking about the other, uh, you know, other episode, whatever, but like, yes, the st- hospitality, the staff keeps people coming back. But look, if you go out to a place and they, they're they like, oh, this is the third time this person has dined here in the last three months, maybe we'll send them an appetizer. Maybe we'll send mm-hmm. them a dessert. Maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll comp an entree. Like th- those are small-ish moves that operators can make or they can empower their staff to make that I think have lasting impact. Because all of us, even if it's just a, you know, $9 or $13 dessert or whatever, like, that resonates with us. It's like, oh, wow, that was really cool. Like, they recognize me, they saw that I've come in here and spent money a couple times already. And like, you know, that's an easy thing for most restaurants to do shit, a lot of them comp desserts for a variety of occasions as is, it's not usually a big deal. But it makes, it makes all the difference in building that so that when someone is deciding where they want to go out to eat, you know, whether or they're planning for an event, or they're planning for a celebration or whatever, like, you want to be the place that comes to mind to these people. And that can, sustain you well beyond buzziness i think if you do it right
1: yeah yeah
2: wait well it's very interesting the yep. whole idea of
0: long-term viability of restaurants anymore and the end of the regular or the beginning of the regular. are you
1: a regular anywhere
0: no i mean yes actually now yes yes two places oh, yes. I am a regular, but I don't go there as often as I should. Mm-hmm. And I've become much more of a regular at Cafe Paulette. Okay. Because.
1: It's around the corner. Yeah.
0: And she's very, th- I, we're pretty sure there's a new owner and she's very, very friendly to Estee. So it's <laughs> very easy to bring her and like very welcoming. That's nice. Um, and then we try to go to Lorena. So we do, we try to support the three places in my neighborhood a bunch, like Lorena, Paulette, and Misada always, mm-hmm. um, and then honestly, the other places in the neighborhood are kind of so sceney, People are going to sell me Misada sceney, but whatever. Um, that you can't get in, um, and so it's just it's really hard to be a regular at those places. Um, I was a regular in Vino, obviously. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows that at this point. Um, I mean, dude, the guy works here now. Like, yeah. I'm just a regular still with Keith. Now he's now he's uh, a regular <laughs>
2: at Vine Pair. Yeah, he's he, a regular.
1: He's a
0: regular at Vine Pair, but. Uh, but otherwise, no. I mean, are you a regular anywhere? Puffies,
1: yeah, a Puffies in our old neighborhood. Like we were regulars at Racine, and then it closed. <laughs> but mm-hmm. that was something that exactly like Zach is saying. Like it was such a wonderful experience. Yeah, and we liked the people there, and after a few times of going, they you know whatever sent us let us try things, and that was such a wonderful part of that experience. So. Yeah. Um, yeah it is it is real i I wish I, like In your, I hope no
0: neighborhood uh, No, no
1: we we haven't really gone to any we're trying places more yeah. than returning to any one place. So it's hard. Yeah.
2: What about you, Zach? The pizza spot, probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tutabella, although it's like a big enough place that, like, we definitely, like, <laughs> it's the kind of place where, like, you know, they, they ask you if it's your first time every time. And I'm like, <laughs> we're like, no, we're here like yeah. every month, at least, if not more than that. But actually, the place that I'm, I think I'm the longest standing regular probably is a, a diner uh, called Vula's where I've been going since I was a little kid, um, which is kind of fun for me now because I bring my kids there. Um, That's cool. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, it's definitely like diner food, but it's very good and very satisfying. And, um, you know, it's like there are other places. I've certainly at other times in my life been a regular, lots of places, both bars and restaurants, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point with the kids, it's not quite as easy. I mean, there are places that we go with on occasion, but not, not anywhere I would full on call myself a regular anymore, I yeah. guess, which honestly is something i miss i think probably you know it's it's one of those things that did kind of go by the wayside to some extent with kids you just don't dine out as much and definitely don't dine out places that are not as kid friendly even if they're very friendly as you know an adult um yeah. but yeah it's it's just there's nothing there's nothing quite like walking into a restaurant or bar where you know the space you where know what everyone knows your, and, well, I cheers, yes, you, knows your name well i wasn't gonna quote cheers but yes thank you everybody knows your name well guys, we know your name here adam i promise I will we say. won't forget it
0: it will be sad to not have you regularly mm-hmm. in my life for the next eight weeks, um, but you know, I I will say I do have one friend with kids, Ethan, who is excellent at being a regular oh. at lots of different places, like mm. ni- high end places. I wouldn't say hi- high end, high end, but like nicer restaurants, pizzerias, etc. He's like he is the the perfect regular. He and his wife Danielle are so supportive of the places they love. Mm-hmm. We should have more Ethan and Danielle's if, <laughs> if this is going to happen. Um, it's pretty amazing how supportive he can be of the places he loves. It's just awesome. Uh, if you're a regular anywhere, let us know. Hit us up at podcast.vinepair.com. If you want to send me a birthday shout out, hit us up at Uh If you want to wish me well, podcast.vinepair.com. Oh,
1: my God. If you have
0: restaurant recommendations for Greece. Yes. I'll already be there, so don't bother. And <laughs> I would not be checking
1: email.
2: And I will see you both after Labor Day.
1: Have a wonderful, wonderful leave, Adam. We're going to miss you.
2: Yeah, we will. And your time out sounds great.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere if you are listening to this on a device right now through an app however you got this audio please drop a review it really helps everyone else discover the show and now for some totally awesome credits so the Vinepair podcast is recorded in our new york city headquarters and in seattle washington in zach Chabal's basement it is recorded by zach mastered and produced by zach he loves all the credit keep giving it to him drop his name in the reviews he's gonna love hearing how much you love him It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vinepair podcast network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Shirino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire Vinepair staff and everyone who's been involved in making Vinepair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.